Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I'm Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you'll hear our passion for the gospel and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus can bring. Today, I'll be preaching with an emphasis on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we prepare for the Easter season, I want to take some time to really communicate the significance of Jesus' sacrifice. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and that it will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's begin our time today. Today, um, we're going to spend some time in Mark. So let's turn to Mark 15. Since this is Palm Sunday, we wanted to think a little bit about not only just Palm Sunday, but the life of Jesus throughout this week, what the Gospels point out to us that happened before his resurrection. And one of these scenes is found in Mark 15, starting in verse 16. So let's read Mark 15. Starting in verse 16, it says this. The soldiers took him away to the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple. After twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to acclaim him. Hail, King of the Jews. They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him, put on his own garments, and led him out to crucify him. Let's pray over this passage this morning. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for salvation. I thank you for Jesus. As we think about Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, we think about the trials and and challenges Jesus faced throughout this week, ending up on the cross on Friday, dying painfully for our sins, and then rising again from the grave on on Sunday. God, we just thank you that this was your plan. It's not a made-up story. It's not fairy tale, God. It is, it is the very truth of God and the good news of salvation. And so, God, as we think about what Jesus endured, I pray that we would evaluate our relationship with with you through Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's called Palm Sunday because a week before Jesus rose from the dead, people lined the road and Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a on a donkey that had never been ridden before. They laid down palm branches and laid down their coats and said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Recognizing really that Jesus was the Messiah. A week later, not even a week later, the same crowd is is yelling, crucify him. We have that listed in, in Matthew 15, 1 through 15. And that passage, 
the, the context of the passage we're going to read today is really fascinating. And I've always found it interesting, the paradoxes that we find in this passage. We have Pilate standing before the crowd, and he's going to make a judgment against the judge of the world. He's going to have to determine if the perfect, innocent Lamb of God is guilty or not. Of course he isn't. He's, Pilate's going to stand there and he's going to have to decide if he's going to follow Christ or if he's going to follow the crowd. That's the, that's the decision we all have to make. Are we going to follow Christ or are we going to follow the crowd? That, that passage in, in Mark, I'm sorry, Mark 1 through 15, it speaks of a guy by the name of Barabbas. An insurrectionist, a murderer, a, a rebel who was held in captivity, whose name means a son of a father. That's what Barabbas means. Son of a father. So Pilate stands before the crowd and says, Do you want a father's son, or do you want the father's son? It's a paradox. It's a mystery. Do you want the rebelling murderer, or do you want the master of creation? And the crowd says, give us Barabbas. We want the murderer. What should I do with Jesus? And they shout out, crucify him. It is an amazing passage, 1 through 15. But what we find is that Jesus stands in Barabbas' place. The first person that Jesus stands substitutionary in their place. Barabbas should have died. Barabbas deserved death. Barabbas was in jail for a reason. And Christ stood in his place while he was allowed to go free. And that's what Good Friday is all about that Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross and bore the punishment for our sin, not the punishment of the Roman soldiers, but the wrath of God that fell down upon him is what we deserved. But instead, Christ took our place. As we sit and think about these things during this time of the year, these we, we might be trying to figure out what's going on at a cosmic level. All these paradoxes. It's just strange, all these, 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 uh, strange connections. It's a little bit like the Lord's Supper we're going to take today. We're going to take the Lord's Supper and part of us might be grieved, but we also rejoice. You know, we, we know that the cross of Christ was not only necessary, but Hebrews 4.3 says it was, it was planned before the foundation of the world. It was needed for our salvation. But that doesn't break our hearts any less to know that, that Jesus died on the cross because of our sin. It breaks our heart, but then we rejoice knowing we won't have to face not only punishment, but never have to face death. And that we can be free from sin. And that we have eternal life in Christ. 
And so that brings us to, to our passage today. It's, we're going to talk about the humiliation and the suffering, some of that which Jesus endured. And we're going to do that so that we can examine our relationship and see if we are like the soldiers mocking Jesus or does our life honor him. And so let's look at that. And when we look at these soldiers, because it's really focused in on the soldiers here, we, we see that they crowned him, but they did not make Jesus their king. They crowned Jesus, but that doesn't make Jesus their king. Look what it says in verse 16 and 17. The soldiers took him away to the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. The soldiers were ready to abuse Barabbas. Again, history seems to indicate he was he was probably a murderer, and there's good chance he murdered some Roman soldiers. He was against the the uh, oppression of the Roman government and wanted freedom. And he was an insurrectionist and and a rebel and a murderer. And so if he had killed some Roman soldiers, then this Roman cohort were fixing to get a little bit of their own back anyhow. You know what I'm saying? We might see sometimes on the TV, on movies and stuff. I'm not sure this actually happens, but when someone kills, let's say, a police officer, there's this vengeance they want to get them back. Now, I believe police officers, while they may want to do that, don't. But sometimes on TV, they portray it that way. These guys were going to do that. They killed, someone from their own ranks were killed, and they were going to abuse Barabbas, and then Pilate sets him free, and they're left with some kook who thinks he's the king. And they said, well, we're going to abuse somebody. And so Jesus will have to do. They were angry, and they began to abuse him. Verse 15, before our passage, says that Jesus was scourged. This is not a light punishment. A scourging was done with, uh, sometimes they're called the cat of nine tails, or, but they were a, it was a, a short whip with multiple tentacles. And woven into those leather tentacles was metal or bone or glass or iron. And so when the person was whipped with the leather, it would not only break their skin like a leather whip would, but it would embed into the flesh and then the person would pull. And I'm sorry, it would rip the the flesh off the person. It was a brutal torture. The Romans were experts at torturing people to death and they had made it a science and that's what the crucifixion was about. It was to be a slow, torturous death in a way that would prevent people from ever rebelling against the Roman Empire. He was scourged and while the Jewish people were limited to 39 strikes with the whip, we he was he was abused here by the Romans. We don't know how many stripes he endured. But by the time verse 16 comes around, 
And these soldiers want to make some mockery of Jesus Christ. My guess is he's a bloody mass of a human. Maybe barely even able to stand. But they want to humiliate him even more. So they rip off his clothes. Not some of them, all of them. And they put on a purple robe because that's what a king wears. This guy, this guy thinks he's king of the Jews. Let's give him a purple robe. And they fashioned a, a crown from some thorns and crammed it on his head and mockingly said, look at the king. So here stood the king of creation, the real king made a laughing stock by his own creation. The soldiers pretended that he was a king. I think many today pretend that Jesus is their king. They may not be twisting crowns of thorns and cramming it on Jesus' head, but it's no less mockery of what they do. It's almost like those Burger King crowns. Right? Those paper Burger King crowns that you put on your head while you're in Burger King and you look foolish with them on and acting like you're king. And you're not a king. I think many people do this to Jesus. And they put a mocking crown on His head and say, Jesus is king of my life. Just don't tell me how to live. (laughs) Don't tell me what to do or not to do. Where I should go or what I shouldn't do. There's those who say that Jesus is their king, but he's not king of their home. He's not king at their work. He's not king of their free time. It's just words only. And when we pretend that Jesus is our king, we may not be physically shoving a crown of thorns on his head, but it mocks Jesus no less. You know, those who who refuse to follow the rule of Jesus in their life, a lot of times their life is spiraling out of control. And then they blame the Master that their life is spinning out of control when they've refused to follow after Him. They reject the King and then their life becomes unmanageable. And then they blame Jesus for it. But life only works when we align our life with God's created order. And that begins with having Jesus as Lord of our life. Our lives can be compared to like a piano here. The piano is a great instrument, and when we have someone who is an artist like Wade or or Cindy who comes up and plays, they make beautiful music. But if a child comes up, or maybe worse, someone like me, right, and just pounds on it, it's terrible. It doesn't make any sense, and it's it's discord and and hard to listen to. When our lives are controlled by the King of creation, by King Jesus, there is a harmony 
a beautiful harmony in life that we can experience. It doesn't take away the trials. It doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't take away the loss. But those things start coming into harmony with life. They temper us. They, they, God works good out of those bad things. And there's an, there's a, there's a beautifulness to life even in the hard things. But when we try to rule and control our own lives without Christ in control, there is discord and there is, there is trouble and noise and, and problems that could be likened to a kid pounding on a piano. It's just terrible sounding. We don't get the option, guys, we don't get the option to put a crown on Jesus and proclaim him king on Sunday and then live the rest of our week however we want to. That's not the deal. Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. That is the deal. If he is your king, praise God. Man, keep it up because that is the hard Christian life. But if he is not your king today, Man, do not leave here today without giving your life to Him, recommitting your life to Him, saying, I want you to be king of my life. He didn't die to be your king every once in a while. That's not how it works. He died to be king of your life all day, every day, all the time. So the soldiers, they placed a crown on Jesus, but they did not make Him king. We also see that they acknowledged Jesus, but they did not worship him. Look in verse 18. They began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews. You know, that's exactly who Jesus is. He is King of the Jews. He is King of the nations. He is King of all creation I keep talking about. He is the King. These words are a valid expression of worship. The problem is, they didn't mean it. We got a glimpse of this, if any of you saw any of the clips of the Grammys about a month ago. Anybody watch the Grammys? I didn't. (laughs) I didn't anticipate anybody watching the Grammys. You didn't want to watch all the music industry, pat the music industry on the back? Those award shows are kind of ridiculous, but anyway. I didn't watch it, but there were clips of it. And Beyonce, she's a singer, apparently, or a singer. She got up and she thanked God for receiving all the award. I mean, she's received more awards than anyone ever. And she thanked God for that right before she thanked the homosexual community for that. And then another singer, I'll put that in quotes, got up. And did what could only be described as worship, a worship of Satan right after, you know, right after this. And, uh, it was, you know, they were talking about God, but it definitely was not the God of Scripture. And it wasn't our redeeming God. 
A person can talk about God, they can thank God, but that doesn't mean they're worshiping the one true God. And before we go too far in condemning the lost people for acting like lost people, guys, it says the, the, the scripture says that the God of this age is blinding the minds of those who do not know him. And my point is they don't know any better. They can't do anything else than what they did because what they need is the light of the gospel to shine into their heart and come to know Jesus and be radically changed from the inside out. The issue isn't that these people did that. The problem is for us when we praise God, but we don't mean it. That becomes the real issue. We say we trust God in the middle of our trial, but in our hearts, we're really not sure He's going to help us. Or we say, I know Jesus has forgiven me, but really when we're alone, we doubt if Jesus would ever forgive someone like me. Or we say, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good But then we really think that sometimes God's just toying with us and torturing us and being like someone who just messes with our life. You know, and maybe all of us are guilty to this to some degree, maybe. It might even be something as simple as when we come in Sunday and we're singing songs of praise and adoration and we're just kind of go through the motions. We just say the words without thinking through them. You know, one of my one of my favorite songs is How Deep the Father's Love for Us. It says this, the second verse. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Now, for me, that's that's good stuff, right? That is, I, I enjoy singing that. Now, I'm not saying that particular song's got to do anything to you or not. If you don't like that worship song, that's okay. I know we all have our favorites. Here's the deal. Worship is not about our favorites, is it? <laughs> It's can we praise God saying those words? We just proclaimed how His death on the cross is what saved me. I'm not saying you have to like any particular worship song. What I'm saying is God only accepts authentic worship. I'm saying that we should worship God, and when we worship God, we need to mean it. I'm sure most of the time when we sing, and again, worship isn't limited to just singing, but I'm just using this as an example. I know a lot of times when we sing those songs, we mean it. But there might be times we just go through the motions. They're just up, words are up there, and I'm saying it, and I'm thinking about what I gotta do. Next week or what I did last week or I don't know, whatever. 
And maybe there are times when we come to Sunday and, and we're worshiping together with other believers and we make commitments to our Lord, but then we leave and then we never fulfill those commitments. Or maybe we've said, God, I'm, I want to do these things in ministry, but we're actually doing them to earn God's favor instead of just out of love for Him and His love for us. 1 Samuel 15.22, it says this, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. And Hosea 6.6, it says, For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than in burnt offerings. See, God doesn't want burnt offerings and sacrifices and religious ritual without loyalty and knowledge of Him and obedience and love toward Him. Religious practices don't make Jesus our King. In fact, the amazing thing about those verses I read is is that God says He doesn't want our worship if we don't mean it. That's amazing. So we need to prepare our hearts for worship. We're going to come next Sunday, and the next Sunday, and the next Sunday, you know. Every Sunday we gather together and we worship. We worship through song and prayer and reading of the Word and and hearing um, a, a Word spoken. And, and we should prepare our, ourselves for that. Maybe that starts before you're in the parking lot, okay? I'm just saying, maybe you might take a little bit of time. Maybe Saturday night. Maybe Thursday night you begin to think, hey, I need to start preparing my heart for worship. Maybe when we leave today, we should be thinking, how do I prepare my heart for next Sunday? So that we're in a constant mode of worship. We can worship God outside of Sunday morning. This is when we corporately gather together. But individually, we're to worship God all the time. We cannot be like these soldiers who praised Him or acclaimed Him, the Word says, and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they didn't mean it at all. They placed a crown on his head. They did not make him their king. They praised Jesus, but they did not worship him. And we also see they knelt before Jesus, but they did not submit to him. Look what it says in verse 19 and 20. They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him. And look what it says. And kneeling and bowing before him. And after they mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him, put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. You know, they were bowing. They were obviously doing it in a mocking way. They were just going through the motions. Oh, he's my king. Let's bow to him. He thinks he's a king. And then they beat him and they spat on him and and they wounded him. All while they're pretending to submit to him. 
There's many today who are not mocking Christ intentionally like these soldiers were. But they wound Him regularly throughout the week. They, they live for themselves throughout the week. They do their own thing. And then they show up on Sunday and pretend that Jesus is their King. And I'm not sure there's much difference. <coughs> Excuse me. It's been six weeks since I preached. <clears throat> so there are many who are, who are mocking him. And, and you know, the answer to that isn't, well, I can't worship him authentically, so I won't worship him. See, that's not even an option. There might be some who might think that way. The mandate is to submit to the king, not just on Sunday, but on Monday when we start the long work week or whatever it is that we have to face. Or on Wednesday when we're as far away from Sunday as we're going to get from both sides, right? You know, it's we're right in the middle of the week. Or on Friday when we get done with a hard week and we want to maybe reward ourselves with some pleasure for the hard work. Especially at that time, we need to be submitting to the King. Our worship and commitment to Him can't be empty, empty form. Acting like we're bowing to Him, it must be authentic is the, is the issue at hand. In 2005, there was a Manhattan judge. You know this story is going to go off the rails, right? A New York judge. Um, allowed a man by the name of Jose Luis Espinal to legally change his name to Jesus Christ. The, the guy says, I want to change my name to Jesus Christ. He says, when it dawned upon him that he was the man who is that name. Something wrong with this guy, obviously. And the judge said this. She said that his application was harmless and it would not pose problems for anyone, right? Because no one would have a problem with him changing his name to Jesus Christ, right? No one has a problem with that. So she granted his request. And so this guy, this 42-year-old man, I'm assuming still has a legal name of Jesus Christ. Now, we may laugh a little bit about that or we might be irritated at this judge for allowing that. But the truth is we're all a little bit like Jose. (laughs) We're just a little more subtle. Every time we refuse to submit to the Lordship of Jesus, we're really stealing the title Lord or King from Him. And we're saying, I'm the King of my life. I'm the Jesus Christ of my life. He doesn't need to rule. I can do it just fine. So there's times that we kneel, so to speak. We may not physically kneel, but we kneel But we're more like Jose than we like to think. Saying, I'm going to kneel, but really, I'm going to be the king. 
When Jesus is our king and we truly kneel before him and allow him to sit on the throne of our life, we live in submission to him. It means our fleshly desires are are surrendered to him. We may struggle with that. It doesn't mean we've got it down perfectly, but it means we are we are working to give more of our life to him. There is an intention to work that way. Submission means we let go of our personal motives and our personal preferences. It means we surrender our ego and our reputation so that Christ is glorified in our life, not us. So I guess there would be more times than we care to admit. I know there is for me that I'm more like Luis thinking I'm Jesus instead of allowing Jesus to be Jesus. The soldiers... They acknowledged Jesus, they crowned him, they acknowledged him, they bowed down to him, and they meant none of that. They had no intention of making him their king. And maybe you've lived your life the same way. You play a good game, you come to church, and everyone thinks you're doing that, but you know when you're alone, Jesus is not really your king. The problem is, Jesus is the king. And you refusing to surrender to him makes life that discord, that piano being hammered upon. Last September, Queen Elizabeth passed and Prince Charles became King Charles III. There was not a vote. There were no polls taken. There wasn't any discussion. The queen died and he became king. End of story. But not really. Do you know there were people in England that were arguing against that? Listen, I don't know, I don't know from kings and queens, right? I don't, I don't know anything about English law. Their government confuses me. I don't know how it all works. But I know this. You don't vote on the king. Right? There was not a public election for it. There were people out protesting, anti-monarchy people in England protesting. And one of the guys who was interviewed, um, they they said, he he said that while they were talking about Queen Elizabeth's reign and, and the grief over her passing, he stayed quiet. And as a crowd, they listened to that. And then it was announced that King Charles would be This is the quote, our only lawful and rightful liege Lord. And this guy stood up and shouted, well, who elected him? (laughs) You don't elect kings. There's all kinds of people who did not want Charles to be their king. They didn't want Charles to be their king because they liked Will and Kate better. They, they like, they didn't, there were some people who didn't want him to be king because they didn't want Camilla to be the queen. There were some who said, Charles is a snob. He's a, he's a prince. I don't know what else he's going to be, but he's, he's a snob, so we don't want him to be the king. There were some who said, we don't want Charles to be our king because he treats animals poorly. I'm just saying, there's people out there that were saying that. Again, I don't know anything really about English law or the government. But it doesn't matter if they didn't like him. It didn't matter 
what they thought of him. He's the king. Now, I'm not talking about the British king. I'm not going to, I don't know like about that, but I know this. It's about the king of creation. It's about King Jesus. And here's the deal. We don't get a vote if he's the king. There's no poll taken to see if Jesus is popular enough to become king. He's the king. Believe it or not, like it or not, Jesus is the Lord of creation. Could it be that we are trying to live in this reality without submitting and realizing, you know, submitting to the one who is the one ruling over this reality? Because when we do that, there is disharmony in our life. The crown of thorn teaches us that we are either like the Roman soldiers, mocking Jesus and pretending he's the king, or we are honoring Christ by truly making him king of our life. And the truth is, everyone, one day, everyone will proclaim him king. Listen, and we'll finish with this, Romans 2.8. Romans 2.8. Being found, talking about Jesus Christ, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. God, I thank you that Jesus is King. And God... Those of us who are believers in this place, God, we struggle with that sometimes. We like to sit on that throne of our life. We like the way it feels. We like the view from the throne. And so, God, I I pray that you would help us be consistent in surrendering more and more of our life to you. But, God, if there's someone here today who's never trusted in you. They are living their life for you. Sorry, they're living their life for themselves and not for you. Then God, I pray today that they would understand how dangerous that is, that we're not to live in a manner that is not in line with God's created order. And I pray that they would surrender to Christ today. It's only in making Jesus Lord. If we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. It is about kingship. And so God, teach us that today. Help us live that out in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. 
We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.